are in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Amen. You may be seated. It's the word of the Lord. We are going to continue on this exhortation that Sue had just read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And in it, we're continuing our I'll study <laughs> on so the enemy's domain. And all that he has done. So we're going to begin with thinking through the question of where? Where is this battle taking place? And this week and next week, we'll be going deep into specifically what is the locale, the territory upon which Satan controls? And what power do we have as believers of Christ to actually go into these areas and make a difference. Now, you might think to yourself, does really Satan have this type of control? Is there a Satan? Are there demons? I hope you've followed along with me enough to actually agree and to say, yes, the Bible teaches this, and so therefore I believe it, just simply because the Bible says so. And obviously, if you don't believe in Satan and the demons— then it says much more not about what you believe about Satan and the demons, but more about what you believe about the Bible. Because if the Bible says it, we have to actually exceed that this is true and then therefore respond to that. So let's consider the possibility, actually more than a possibility, because I think when you look at Scripture, you see it to be true, is that Satan is the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, as Paul describes him. Because of that, he has certain strongholds and territories that are under his sway, under his control. One place that we see that so clearly is Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Daniel records the angel's words here. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So, everyone, I'm going to take a pause for a second. Talk about spiritual warfare. One of the, we are having a number of technical difficulties, and uh, 
I don't think actually that's a coincidence. I'm not just saying that for the sake of having a little aside regarding technical difficulties, but the reality is this is some of our challenges. So hold on one second. Everything all set? Elizabeth? Everyone? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, like I said, this is a... This is a war and it comes in many different ways. Let me read to you again, Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. Daniel had been asking the Lord for a while for discernment, and he had fasted and prayed for three weeks, 21 days, according to Daniel chapter 10, verse 3. During this time, a messenger, probably an angel, some think it was Gabriel, but as to specifically who it was, we don't know. But Daniel is confronted and actually met by a messenger who tells him that his prayer has been heard. And during that 21, same 21 day time period, according to what Daniel says, this messenger says, the prince of the kingdom for Persia withstood me. The prince for the kingdom of Persia. Daniel also says that this angel says that Michael has come, the, the archangel, the chief angel. He has come to help in this fight against the prince of the kingdom of Persia. We know that this prince is a demon, not because of, not because of any other reason except the fact that that word prince heading and in charge of a region is actually the same way in some sense that Michael is described in verse 21. Michael too, as an angel, is called the prince. It also speaks of the next prince, the prince of Greece coming. So there seems to be this, these regions and structures and territories where spiritual beings are warring against one another. And if you could consider and stop and consider that for a moment, that Michael needs to come and support this angel as well as Daniel in this conflict, the spiritual conflict that's happening far above the historical events of Persia and Babylon and Greece and all that's happening. So here we have two parallel lines. We have what's happening in the world, politically, governmentally, geographically, and then we have a spiritual realm where there's also spiritual beings, angels and demons warring against one another. That actually coincides exactly with what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. So again, you might listen to this and be skeptical. You might be saying, ah, oh, that doesn't happen. Are you really saying, Sam, that there are spiritual beings behind political, geopolitical events, whether it's the, the rise of the USSR and its fall, whether it's the, the, everything that's taking place in the Middle East or in North Korea or in the United States. Are there spiritual conflicts behind geopolitical events? We're going to speak a lot about this more next week, 
But just to say that when we look at Daniel 10, it seems pretty clear that that is exactly what Daniel is recording and what Paul is commenting on in Ephesians chapter 6. So know this, when you try to bring the gospel to such territories and areas where Satan reigns, where his demons control, we should not be surprised when there's some sort of spiritual and sometimes supernatural pushback. That is to say that when you try to advance the kingdom of Christ into closed countries, and we often think of it closed politically, but I wonder how often we actually think of it spiritually, that it's spiritually closed to the gospel. Meaning that there's a lot of resistance by the enemy because the last thing he wants to do is yield ground and territory. And so when missionaries or Christians go and try to bring the light of Christ to those areas, how often are there spiritual attacks of discouragement, great hindrances? Yes, sometimes political uh, structures that are opposing those Christians. There are oftentimes physical dangers, possibilities of imprisonment and torture and even death. All of these should not be surprising to us. Something dramatic happens whenever we try to bring the gospel to the devil's territory. If we try to win people to Christ, then Satan will pull out all the stops to hinder us, to stop us from doing so. When we don't try to bring the gospel to unbelievers, well, it's obvious that Satan then thinks you're safe. You're okay. You know, you're such a non-threat to him that he actually doesn't really care that much. He knows you're going to do his will, you might say, his ultimate will. And so he doesn't attack at all. Paul writes so clearly for us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He being Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. When Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that we're to make disciples of all nations, he's saying that we Christians, he wants us to realize we're on a hostage rescue mission, that there are hostages in this world that are being taken by that great evil kidnapper called Satan. And he wants us to go and penetrate those areas to win back, to rescue people to himself. Again, this, these are the Lord's words. We can't simply dismiss them because we're so used to not thinking on these terms. So again, we must be far more concerned when our church, when we are facing no trials, no struggles, no hindrances, a church, a believer that is making, has no impact in Satan's territory usually has only comfort. Nothing's going on because they're not encroaching his territory. They're not doing the work of rescuing people, saving people. And so there are no difficulties. But when difficulties arise, when they do come and they will to follow Christ, means according to what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, if the world hated him, they will also hate us. That's because we're, again, we're moving into the enemy's ground. And Jesus, according to Hebrews, is our captain, our leader. 
And so we're diving deep into these areas and we're trying to reclaim territory for Christ. Again, we're going to discuss this this week and next. So one area that I would want to give as an example of a place where Satan encroaches on territory is actually our homes, our homes in general. Listen to how Jesus describes the activity of demons in Luke chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Now, I know you're saying that's metaphorical. That's not about a house. That's about the person. And yes, that's absolutely true. Speaking of a person who does not know Christ, they've opened themselves up to demons. And so their body is a dwelling place, a house for demons, you might say. It's actually a potential place. That's what Jesus is speaking about. But I I think that metaphor needs to be understood also in the idea that demons have a, a spatial context to it that there is a place for them. We see that so clearly in Mark chapter 5 when they say, do not send us to the abyss. And instead, Jesus says, okay, I'm not going to do that. And they go rush into pigs, into swine. And those those swine rush into the water. So there is this place, this element of space that demons are still confined by in this world because they are of this world, in this world, the prince of the power of the air, the the God of this world, the ruler of this world, surely then they can enter into a home, a house. And since Jesus is using this house metaphor, that is a very reasonable possibility. Now, last week I spoke of houses that seems to have ghosts. And even the staunchest atheist is so often open to the paranormal to poltergeists and haunted houses. So many of you have those same stories of hearing footsteps and, you know, doors opening and closing and dishes moving back and forth. And um, furthermore, some homes can literally have an oppression to it. Have you ever lived in a home where in that one particular, one particular home, things went wrong all the time, emotionally, psychologically, Here's the thing. We tend to view that solely on a psychological basis. But we go back to Ephesians 6 and Paul's telling us that there's a spiritual reality, not a physical one. And so Satan uses doorways, figuratively speaking, doorways such as sin and death by which he takes advantage of to steal, hinder, kill and destroy because he's the God of this world. He is in places in this world. I remember when Sue and I first got married, we moved to Chicago and we were looking for a, an apartment to rent and we were going to different places and we looked at an ad in the newspaper. Back then there was no Craigslist. It was an ad in the newspaper, the classified section. And we actually went to this one, one apartment. The apartment itself was actually in a great location, was nice, clean. But when we encountered the man who was there and the place itself, 
there was just something so dark. He didn't, he looked fine. He dressed well. It had nothing to do with his physical appearance, but just a sense. And I told Sue, I said, we, we can't take this place. Something's wrong. I don't know what it is. And my spirit was so disturbed. Now I am not a overly charismatic person, but you got the sense that something was amiss in this home. And with that man, we decided not to take it. I don't know what was going on there, but I think that intuition, if you are a believer of Christ and you sense something amiss in a place, in a person, I'm not talking about anything physical. It's just an, a, a sense. Know that that doesn't come out of nowhere. But that is really, if we think of things spiritually, we recognize that God is, by his spirit, reminding us that this is a war. This is a battle. My mother-in-law was telling us a story of a home in Korea where right after the Korean War, and um, this pastor and his wife decided to take this home. It was a very beautiful home. This home that actually had, you know, that was just really beautiful in the center of town, but no one wanted to live in this house. No one wanted to go in there. Well, they decided to go in there. And that night when they went in, they went and lived in that house. At night, they could hear screaming coming from the basement. They went downstairs. There was no one there. The next day, Went to, you know, live their life. Then at night, again, screaming and all these sounds coming from the basement. What they found out was that that house was used by the North Korean army as a place where they took a bunch of South Koreans, put them into the basement, tortured them and slaughtered them. And by doing so, there was a stronghold in that place. So they had decided, this husband and wife, Rather, as terrified as they were, they were not going to yield to Satan's schemes. So they prayed and fasted for over two months, listening to that, not sleeping. They didn't sleep barely at all. Finally, after the second month, at the end of that month, it finally became silent. There is an enemy at work. He is doing all that he can to drive you away from Christ. And yes, he uses his primary MO to do that is to lie, to deceive, to cause you to accuse you. We spoke a lot about that at first, but he's also going to use any tool in his tool belt to keep you away from Jesus. So from an application perspective, I would strongly, strongly recommend that when you purchase a home, when you're renting a home, when you're vacationing in a hotel room, if you're working and you are in hotels quite often, pray over those places. You have no idea what has happened in those places before you lived in there. You might think, and again, I'm just, again, I go back to this qualifier, which is, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe that these are not just mythological stories, but rather this is, this is reality, how it truly is that we live in an integrated world of physicality and spirituality. And because that is true, there is 
definitely these opportunities that Satan takes to war against you specifically. Satan, for example, when you go into a place where he has control, he doesn't want you to live there because you're going to be the salt and light. And that's the last thing he wants is for you. He knows that his kingdom is at risk, that his reign, his control is, is tenuous at that point. So he's going to do everything he can to get you out. Our neighborhood has uh, many Indians living amongst us where we live. Predominantly, most of them are Hindu. One time I was walking by our garage and on the, to get to my garage, I have to walk by all the other garages. And one of the garages was open and this new Indian family had moved in. They were Hindu and they had invited a Hindu priest and he was doing all these incantations, uh, to, with incense and all sorts of dances and rituals to invite spirits into that place. I mean, that's in essence, Hinduism has at its core fear, the fear of the world. And you get all these spirits because the last thing you want is bad karma. And so they spent all this time doing that. I was watching them from afar and it it's very strange. It had this almost, I don't know how to describe it. When I was looking, it seemed blurry. I can't put it any other way. It just, my eyes just blurred with that scene. But I thought to myself, imagine if they moved and I moved into that home. I would just have no idea that that would ha- that has happened. But that has happened. And my friends, for some of you, if you're facing even physical pain sometimes, hardships, um, accusations, darkness, discouragement, depression, despair. I really want to encourage you to pray over your house. Um, you are a believer of Christ. If you are in Christ, you don't need me. I'm not a, you don't have to say, I need a, a pastor to come and pray over it. I mean, you can have a bunch of people praying and singing and worshiping in that home, but you can also pray over that house and pray for God's protection. Pray that any, any work of the enemy be dissipated and gone. Because Paul tells us, that according to Ephesians 6, that there is this present darkness. It is now. It is here. And it is in your sphere of influence and in your life. Second is not just homes, but landscapes. One of the most beautiful places in the world are all the mountains. Just go to Yosemite and you'll see beauty. I love going to places like Yosemite and the Sierra Nevadas, Tahoe, because as you drive, let's say, on 80 towards Tahoe, and you see just all of the trees lining it, you get a sense of your smallness, same as you're walking through the valley floor in Yosemite, and you see the big rock faces, El Capitan and and um, Half Dome, and you just get the sense of smallness. It's a wonderful picture of our God, all that he has created. But the challenge is that if you don't have a view of God, then your awe becomes those edifices, those natural structures are gods themselves. You become in awe of it. You worship it. And it's so easy to go down that road. God created the mountains and we know he created them good. 
God met Moses on a mountain called Mount Sinai. Psalm 15 says the godly and blameless will dwell in God's holy mountain. Listen to Isaiah 2, 3, which describes the glory of eternity in dwelling with him. Come, many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So let us not think that mountains in and of themselves are evil. They are not. But we also know that people do not trust and worship God. They worship created things rather than the creator. They worship Yosemite rather than God who created it. And so if you ever read the Old Testament, there's this one expression that is filled throughout the Old Testament, especially early on. It's called the high places, the high places. The first high place that is described essentially is in Genesis chapter 11. And we know it as the Tower of Babel. And the people built this high tower to try to say, we are like God, or to better put it, we are God. And so that sense of finding and reaching to the heavens has always been this idea of either I trust God and worship him who is far above the greatest tower or mountain peak, or that mountain peak is a representation of me being God or that mountain peak being God. And so God warns Israel in Numbers thirty three fifty two. He says this, Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. Shrines and altars and human sacrifice began to cover the mountain. That's what happened. So the Israelites, they were warned not to do this, but all the people around Israel, the Moabites, you know, those who, the, the Hittites, they went to mountaintops, built a shrine and worshiped idols and Israel not wanting to be left out. They true had FOMO. They actually went to these mountaintops themselves and did the same thing, even though God warned them. That is why God constantly says, you need to destroy the high places. He doesn't care about it being high. It's that the Israelites viewed those things as so valued, so God-centered. Listen to what Jesus says about the city of Pergamum in the book of Revelation. The city of Pergamum was 1,099 feet high, and it had an Acropolis, a place where it was a city on a hill, and it had a, a temple worshiping other gods. And there was a church there. And Jesus says this, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Wow. Jesus is saying, Jesus himself is saying that this city that is on a mountaintop, that's where Satan's throne is. It had a very strong spiritual presence. And Jesus is saying it's a demonic presence. It's a place where the occult happened. And you find that actually to be the case all around the world on mountaintops. Um, if you go to different parts in Asia, oftentimes Buddhist temples are built in the mountaintops. There are um, native sites in the mountain areas. Shamanistic practices are all in the mountain areas. You might again think, there's nothing to this at all, but speak to any native person anywhere around the world. 
And they actually believe in what we're talking about. So it's only us, those of us in the West. So who really understands reality better? We are, we who are so arrogant with our technology and with our ideas of this world, where we think to ourselves this with this pro Western scientific bias that, Oh, things only happen in the naturalistic realm. Unless it's proved by physics and biology, then it's not true. Whereas the rest of the world sees it this way. Michael uh, Ochoa, he was telling us the story of a time he and his dad went hunting with some friends who were non-believers. They went hunting in a, in a region in, in California. And when they went hunting, they um, were in this place. Everything was fine. But his dad and, um, and he had to leave early. So they packed up all their stuff and left. And then it grew dark. The thing is, as they left, it was about five hours away from the Bay Area. And in that darkness, his friends started literally attacking each other. I mean, they were, they had some of the worst conflict that Michael said they had ever had. It was so bad that they had to actually tie up one of their friends on a tree because he was so much on a rampage and so out of control. So what's interesting is one of his friends contacts Michael and says, you got to come back up here because something strange happened. As soon as you left, and this is a non-Christian speaking, as soon as you left, this darkness just covered this land. And suddenly we all started losing it and going after each other and everyone came out of control. So they'd already gotten home. They drove another five hours back. And as soon as they got back to that area, everything settled down again. Now, you might be thinking that's coincidence. So I, I don't believe that. But what's interesting is that area is controlled as native lands. And it's a very strong possibility that these are burial grounds or different areas where there's shamanistic regions and all sorts of rites and rituals happening in that area. This happens time and time again. I want to tell you a story uh, that John Piper tells. It's a report actually from Lausanne, uh, the second Lausanne, which is a, a gathering of missionaries and mich missions work all around the world. This report stated that in the fall of 1984, a group of pastors and leaders from San Nicolas, Rosario, the Rosario area of Argentina, gathered to discuss and pray about spiritual warfare. The gathering was prompted by the realization that 109 towns within 100 miles of this training center had not one Christian around it. And they did some preliminary studies and they discovered that one particular town in the center of that area was called Arroyo Seco. And that appeared to be the, a seat of satanic activity in the region. When they were researching the history behind that town, what they found was that years before, a well-known sorcerer warlock by the name of Mr. Maragildo operated out of that town. He was so famous and his cure is so dramatic that people would trek miles to get to that place from even overseas for his services. Before he died, he passed on his powers to 12 disciples. Three times a church was established in Arroyo Seco and three times it closed down due to spiritual opposition. 
So these pastors and leaders got together, they studied the Bible, they prayed together, and they came together in one accord and placed that entire uh, um, area under spiritual authority, prayed over that area, cast out demons. A few of them traveled there, positioning themselves across the street from the headquarters of Mr. Magildo's, Marigildo's followers. They served an eviction notice, as Piper describes it, on the forces of evil. They announced to them that they were defeated, that Jesus Christ would attract many to himself now that the church is united and had pledged to proclaim him. Here's the result. Less than three years later, 82 of those towns had churches in them. An unverified report indicates that as of today, all of them have a church and Christian witness. Again, if Satan is the God of this world, the prince of this world, that means that he controls territories. And when there's spiritual darkness, there is that control. It doesn't mean that we have no ability to go into those places. It means we need to be aware that this is happening. One time I went to the Grand Buddhist Temple in Thailand. It's one of the few places I've ever been to where I literally, as soon as was walking into the grounds, felt this deep darkness in my soul. And I actually physically became nauseous. It felt sickening because you sense just this place is Satan's ground. And there was this foreboding feeling. Some of you have experienced this. You've told me some stories of going into certain cities, different regions, different places where the, the, there is such a, a closeness to the gospel. Countries have this. When that happens, let us not run away in fear, but instead let's remain and fight. Do you know one of those places where this actually is the case? The San Francisco Bay Area. Whether you realize it or not, we live in a demonically controlled satanic area. San Francisco itself, it was a Catholic mission. And it ended around the mid-1800s. And the reason it ended is because gold was discovered. Hence the 49ers, the people who come. All these, well, not people, men. Men from all around the country heard about the gold and they rushed in. They started doing all they could to discover gold in this region, in this area, the San Francisco Bay Area. So when these men came in, it was all men. And you know what men who have no love for Christ, who are controlled by greed and ultimately by Satan, you know what they want as well? They want women. And so they brought in all these prostitutes. They flooded San Francisco with brothels. And every woman who was brought in was a prostitute. Most of them were. I mean, it was, there was all sorts of, so think of it this way. This city was founded on greed lawlessness, the abuse of women, rampant sexuality. What type of spiritual legacy do you think that leaves to a city? Talk about demonic, satanic control. This is what happened, and this is the history of San Francisco. So it, is, it should not shock us that Anton LaVey, the first satanic priest in the late 60s, founded the first church of Satan in San Francisco. 
it should not shock us that so much of the 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 ideas of, of just the pioneering types of all sorts of sexual sin happens in San Francisco. But all the more, rather than running from that, we need to run towards it. So thankful for the many gospel churches. Well, not many. A number of them have failed in its attempt. Actually, vast amounts of resources and efforts have been attempted to bring the gospel to church plant in San Francisco, and so many have failed. That's all the more reason why we should be praying for churches like Christ Church, Reality SF, because it is so hard to maintain faithful gospel ministry. And I mean really preaching Christ and his saving work in a city like San Francisco. But not just San Francisco, the Bay Area as a whole. And I think all of you sense that. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says that Satan is the god of this world. He controls areas, territories, cities, lands. Let us not forget that we live in such a place. So I think when we're thinking the Bay Area is too expensive to live in, it has such a liberal mindset. It's so close to Christianity. Why should I even stay here? I want to move. I want to move to Texas. I want to move to Florida. I want to move to Arizona. I want to move to Idaho because it, I can have a bigger house. I can have, um, I don't have to deal with the, just this evil politics and, you know, just this anti-Christian values. And you're thinking that way. My friends, when we think that way, we are falling into exactly his schemes. You know, the last, the, the thing he wants most is you to run, to say, I don't want to be here. It's too hard. There's too much temptation, too much despair. I get sucked into all the, the, this rat race of money. I'm, I'm impacted so much by the politics of the region or by the, just the culture of the region, the schools and all this. It's, there is so many reasons to leave that it makes you, it should cause you to think, why do I want to leave that much? Why am I so tempted to think that way? And what the Bible tells us is, it's not a coincidence. I can't tell you how many times, frankly, that I have, both Sue and I, from the very beginning when we first were here with Wellspring to today, have thought, wow, there are so many easier places to minister. Why are we here? But I know why we're here. Because we're encroaching on the devil's property. He's trying to kick us off. We're not going to go without a fight. Remember what John said in 1 John 4, 3 to 4. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. He's here. Satan and his demons are here. But Christ is infinitely more powerful than them. We can make a difference by reclaiming territory back from the enemy. How, you might ask? George sent a video. I want to show that for you because I think he gives us a great picture of that. And we get a little bit of a sense of even claiming territory in South Africa. So Elizabeth's going to play this. Happy I can be here this morning. And I'm speaking to you from our prayer garden. Um, we believe in prayer gardens, 
Um, we've developed a number of places like this, just to give you an idea. Um, little hideout spots where we come and spend time in prayer through the day. And then, of course, we've got our chapel that we have built. Those of you that know, we buried my mom last year. This is where we buried my mom. And then around our chapel, we've got a number of prayer hideouts. Um, I can show you. Some places like this. Where we where we try to uh, to have a community that's a praying community, and it's very important for us that prayer is not between eight and nine in the morning, but prayer is continual, consistent, ongoing. In one Thessalonians five seventeen. It, Paul speaks and say, pray without ceasing. And one of the biggest reasons why we pray so much is because we understand that we are in a spiritual warfare. We understand that our battles is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of these dark forces. And prayer is the prime weapon. So we enhance at work, pray day and night. God not just to deliver us but to give us victory and to plunder to plunder this kingdom that belongs to the prince of the world for a moment so every time you inhabit space and live by faith in Christ Jesus and you pray over those areas those people those towns those cities those communities you pierce through darkness. You plunder, as George said, the enemy's territory. I really love that phrase. Remember the next time that you consider, oh, I, I, why do I have to live in this area? It's so expensive. It's so hard. Remember that so often we think it's, it's governmental. It's economic. It's political. It's societal. It's cultural. All these areas that are hostile to Christ to the gospel, it would be so much easier to go here. Well, that's what the enemy wants you to think. The difficulty is not ultimately because of tech companies or because of political agendas or which political party is in power. The SF Bay Area is a very difficult place to be a Christian because Satan is the God of this world and the God of this region. And why should we be surprised that we have hardship as Christians when we're trying to proclaim Christ to an area. I think it makes absolute sense that we are struggling so much to finally go into our building with all that we've encountered and faced, not just in our building, but in our leadership, all of the different ways that which we've experienced difficulty. As soon as we try to get to, into this building, surrounded by an Islamic center, by areas where the gospel of Christ has been is being resisted, you know, we want to be the salt and light, a gracious light to this area. But 
as George says, we need to pray over that area. So I really want to encourage you, if you've volunteered or you want to come and pray over our building, in our building, you don't have to clean anything. You don't have to do anything. Actually, something more important, just go into our building and pray. Lord Jesus, bless this place. May it be used for your glory. Protect everyone who encounters this place. Anyone who comes, guard, lead. You will do much more in doing that than even cleaning. And by the way, if you want to pick up something, feel free to do so. <laughs> but pray over that. Every time you walk in, I want to encourage you. If you're volunteering, pray for the workers. Pray for the church. Pray for the leaders. Let me read to you Hebrews 2, 14, 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil and the fear that comes with him at work. And with this solid rock assurance and hope, we can cry out with this wondrous affirmation. Psalm 112, 6-8. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He will not be afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. We are able to say that because of Jesus who has already triumphed over the enemy once and for all. So do not be afraid, dear friends. We can trust in him. We, let us not be shaken. Let us be steady. Let us move forward. Let us remember we're triumphant. We are more than conquerors. Let's pray together. Father, we give you praise and thanks how much you have loved us, Jesus. Though Satan is the God of this world, you are the God of everything. Though Satan has tried to use high places where all sorts of false gods are worshipped, oh God, you used a high place, Calvary, to vanquish Satan and sin and death forever. And so we come by the power of Jesus Christ, the name, the glory of Christ, King, Rescuer, Savior, the Almighty Powerful One. On that basis, we claim back territory. The Bay Area, the Tri-Valley, San Francisco, San Ramon. And we know we need not be afraid. We can trust in you. So Lord, I pray that we would go forth as uh, men and women and children who will be powerful and strong in Christ through your shed blood. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name.